these things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Glory to God. Woo-hoo. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. The anointing came on us to pray. Did you notice that? Hallelujah. And that's where you're effective. I'm, from experience, that's where you're effective. You can pray, you know, but you, you can be anointed to pray. We were anointed to pray. Woo! And I was seeing things in the Spirit. God was showing me things about nations and everything I can't say, everything I can't do, but I, we was praying and we were effective. Amen. I'm telling you, God is working. Isn't that right? Yes. Hallelujah. But God is a supernatural God. Isn't that right? And he's bringing his plan, his purposes, and his will to pass. And isn't it great to have an opportunity to participate in what God is doing? And when you have the anointing on you to pray like we did this morning, yield to it. Because again, to me, that's where I found out that my prayers are most effective. That don't mean we don't pray other times. We do. But sometimes an anointing will come on you to deal with things in the spirit. And that's where you're most effective. And thank God we are. Amen. And we'll see things take place and come to pass. And, and all these plots of the enemy, we're standing against them in Jesus' name. Well, what are you going to say to us this morning? Have you uh, got to pray about it yet or did you sleep through it? <laughs> well, I think we're going to turn in our Bibles again to somewhere in the Bible. So if you'll start heading to the book of Exodus by direction of the Holy Ghost, we'll head that direction if that's all right. So where are we going in Exodus? Chapter 32. This morning about, well, it wasn't about, it was when I looked at the clock, it was 3 a.m. I guess the third day, he rose, 3, 3 a.m. The Lord has talked to me about this before, but it's just kind of, it seemed to be that he reemphasized truths that's in the Word of God. And again, I know I've basically, I guess, been preaching out of the Old Testament since I've been here, if I recall. But again, we look in the Old Testament. We don't live under the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, but there are spiritual principles that we can find that are applicable to the New Testament church, the Christian of our lives today. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always moves according to a pattern, principle, or a plan. If you find patterns and principles... Patterns and principles that God has moved in before. He's going to do the same thing today. He's going to move the same way today. Why? Because he says he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We may change, but God doesn't change. So what we do is we look into the Word of God for Patterns, the ways God's moved before. Principles, things he's implemented and gave instructions for before. 
And those things are still true and still good today for any generation, for any people group, or any time period, or any era on the face of this earth. Why? Because he says, I change not. Isn't that right? So that's the reason we look there. Even though that there's uh, good scriptures about it, you know, in the, the New Testament. In fact, hold your finger here and turn to St. John. We'll call it Big John. We'll turn to Big John because we got little John in the back, but this is Big John. And we'll look for something here. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm, I'm looking for a scripture here, so don't give up on me. Let's look at St. John chapter 14. And we'll just... <clears throat> Read this, and then we'll go back and look over there. It says here, verse 15 of St. John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't that what he said? If you love me, you keep my commandments. And of course, the commandments, what he's talking about is directives, principles, and instructions that he taught when he was on this earth. He said, I will pray, the, if you love me, keep my commandments, keep my commandments, keep my commandments, keep my commandments. In other words, keep my instructions, keep my principles and apply them to your life. In other words, just don't believe that I've done it for you. You need to do something yourself. Now, that doesn't seem to be true in the Christian world today because many, you know, it's kind of like Jesus has done it all and now we do nothing and that's not true. And, of course, we know that, that salvation, our salvation, is not based on works because if it was, nobody would qualify. You understand? We qualify based on the blood of Jesus and what Jesus done through his shed blood, burial, and resurrection. He took our place on the cross. He took our penalty and punishment for sin. In fact, if you'll just let me tell you the truth, the whole truth, and this may shock you, he became the human sacrifice to the whole human race. It used to be animals were sacrificed for humans in the Old Testament. But God brought a human being and he was sacrificed for the sins. He took our place. God allowed him to take our place. Now that may sound morbid and dreary, but it's the truth. Somebody had to die. For the wages of sin is death. So somebody had to pay the penalty. And the way that, that this happened is, is because Adam committed sin before we were ever born. We wasn't there. We didn't commit the same acts that he did. Nobody ever did commit the same sin that he did. But because he sinned, that meant that the rest of the human race would inherit his sin, and that we would receive punishment, which would be eternal death, which is separation from God forever. And because one man brought sin into the world, it was only right and just that one man takes sin out of the world. So that's why Jesus Christ came. Jesus came to take the place of you and I and uh, take the place for the Adam that sinned back there in the garden. 
And he died for us on the cross. In fact, if you want to go a little further with it, <laughs> the Bible says this. He was, Jesus Christ was who? Emmanuel, and that is interpreted God with us. God took the supreme responsibility for the sins of every human being on this planet. God himself did. God did. Because God created Adam with the ability to sin if he wanted to. In other words, he had his own free will. God didn't have him on a leash with a rope around his neck and say, no, you're not going to sin. Every time he went towards sin, God jerked him back. No. God wanted Adam to serve him because he wanted to, not because he had to. But you, know, you notice other religions that don't know Jesus, you have to do what they say are detrimental to you. It's always some kind of rule or hard thing or something, you know. So, so God created Adam with the ability of sin. He didn't create him a sinner. We know that. But with the ability to sin if he chose to. So if God created Adam with the ability to sin if he chose to, then what God had to do is accept the responsibility himself for Adam's sin in the garden. It was God's fault. Don't stone me. Don't, I, I, Ark, don't get your stones. Just hear me out first. I rarely share this. In this sense, it don't mean that God made him sin. It didn't mean God wanted him to sin. But God himself was responsible for Adam's sin. Because he could have created him where he could not sin. So we're not putting him down. So don't, don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm talking against him. Lord, you know what I'm going to say, so don't strike me. You know? And he's not. But God had already ordained before the foundation of the world that this human being that he was going to create, it was such a love that he had for them. If they do fail, if they do sin, if they do turn away from me, I'm still going to love them. And if I have to, I will die in their place. Any real, true mama and daddy would die for one of their children. If you could take a bullet for your child, you would do it. Any real mama and daddy, wouldn't you? If you could take your child's problems, you know, you would do it. That's just the way it works. So God, when Jesus hung on the cross, now don't pass out, don't get you rocked, put them up. When Jesus hung on that cross, it was God hanging on that cross, dying for your sins. Because Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. God manifested in the flesh. There he hung. He said, Brother Randy, you understand all that? You don't have to understand it, just believe it. 
how did just tell it, it, God Himself hung on that cross in the form of His Son, and He took the penalty and punishment for all of our sins, and that's why people go to hell for rejecting what God did. You don't go to hell because you're a sinner. You go to hell because you don't receive God to get forgiveness of your sins. Because he paid the supreme sacrifice. Can I tell you another shock? (laughs) This is another shock. God has never, nor will he ever, send anybody to hell. God did not create hell for the human race. I'm talking about human beings. He created hell for who? The devil and his what? Angels. That's what the Bible says. It's in your Bible. He did not create it from us. So if you go to hell, it will, you will go at your own free will because you choose to reject the supreme sacrifice, God himself dying in your behalf so you could have eternal life. In fact, it was so strong that God stood a stop sign on the hill of Golgotha called the cross and said, stop, don't go to hell. If you go to hell, it's because you choose to not because God sent you there. Now, God instituted the law. You understand that that, that's the decree. Why? Because you are rejecting the supreme sacrifice of God Himself. God made a way for all of us to escape the sins of the first Adam. Whew! Aren't you glad? So you're ready to go to heaven. Are you sure? So people, you know, have a tendency today, we said this, people have a tendency today to reject the words of Jesus and reject the teachings of Jesus. But we need to teach and preach the teachings and directions and principles that Jesus taught, just like the ones Paul taught or Timothy taught or James taught or anybody else taught. Do you think what Paul taught is more important than what Jesus taught? They supposed to coincide and agree together. Isn't that right? And Paul did have a revelation of who Jesus was, and that's what he was communicating to us. But the words Jesus says is just as important. And if he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he means what he said. There are principles, there are directives that he expects us to follow. Not in our own strength and ability, so to speak, because he'll give us the ability to actually obey him. But it seems to be that the thinking is across much of the body of Christ, not all of it, that Jesus, this is the thinking, Jesus has done it all. Now, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to conform to any principles. I don't have to obey any scriptures in the Bible. My lifestyle, my morals, and my values, it really don't matter how I act, where I go, what I do, how I dress, how I appear, or anything else. Because God doesn't care anymore because Jesus took care of it all when he died on the cross. Well, there's a truth to that. But the untruth is he didn't live the Christian life for us. He expects us to do it ourselves. 
So if you're truly born again, the Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. Fruits means actions and works. James said, faith without works is dead. Don't accomplish anything. In other words, you say you love the Lord. You say that Jesus is my side. You say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I worship Him. If you love me, He said, keep my commandments. So there are principles, right? There are guidelines uh, that Jesus expects us to apply to our daily lives uh, if we're going to follow Him. And of course, all of us, we're thankful for what we call progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Old timers used to get sanctified. I don't know if you ever remember any of those days, but way back in old Pentecost, you had to be sanctified. In fact, they didn't understand it all, and I'm not saying that I understand it all, but they thought it was sanctification like it was a one-time event, you know. But it's really kind of like it's progressive in our life. We're growing more like Christ every day. And that's where grace and mercy comes in. He gives us the opportunity. Even if we slip and we trip, He helps us get back up. He doesn't put us down. And He helps us to go on again. Because He knows what it's like to live down here. You remember what happened in heaven when Jesus got back. You remember that? You remember what happened? Remember they called a board meeting. And so only the voting members could have come to this meeting. The trustees or whatever, you know, they couldn't necessarily come because they had no voting or vetoing power. So this was all the main principal board members in heaven had a meeting. It was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And they were sitting in the boardroom. Nobody else is there. And the father turned and looked at the son, Jesus, and he said, Son, what did you find out down there? And so Jesus wanted to answer him correctly, and he wanted to answer him straight because God knows everything, you know. And he thought, well, I'll just keep it simple for him. He said, Father, if you don't send them some help, they ain't going to make it. <laughs> and the father thought, and he looked to the Holy Spirit and said, you have been given the assignment to go and live inside of each one of them and give them abilities that they don't presently have until they're born again. And he said, Father, the Holy Spirit said, Father, when do you want me to go? He said, I've got a special day called the day of Pentecost that I'm going to send you into all the earth. It did, it happened, I'm telling you, it happened, the board beating happened. <laughs> but when you begin to understand things, and understand the revelation of these things and why God did what he did. It makes you want to serve him more. It does. It, it makes you, when you see how much he loved you, and he does love us. But that doesn't mean, you know, when my son was coming up, you know, I loved my son. Like I said, I'd give my life for my son. But if my son needed correction... He would get it. Isn't that right? It was rare that he needed it. Because I don't know, he was just a tender, you know, 
some children are tender and some of them are, <laughs> my God, <laughs> children are different, you know. Some of them just come up with a wheel. They're stubborn as old mule that don't want to plow. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it may take a little more with them, you know. But they say to apply the board of learning to the seat of education, it always does something, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was like with Randall, he just very little, very, if ever, I recall with him. He just grew up with that kind of mentality that he wanted to do the right thing and still today. He's a stickler for doing what's doing what's right, even flying airplanes. And I can't say certain things, we're live. But, but anyway, he gets disgruntled when people doesn't follow the directions that the, the pilot's, owner's, operator's handbook says about the aircraft. Because he believes that you could put yourself in danger. But when he tees a flight instructor too, Periodically, of course, now he's working for a company and don't have time to do that. But uh, he teaches students the same way. Do what the regulations say. Do what you're taught because you want to be safe when you get through. In fact, he's, at times, uh, people that he was working with wanted to, to get their ratings or something for flying airplanes. They wanted to force him, put pressure on him to do it. And he would say things to me like this. He said, Daddy, he said, I'm not going to sign them off. I said, don't do it then. I said, why? He said, because they're not ready. He said, they're in a hurry. He said, but they're not ready. And he said, I'm concerned if I sign that logbook, they're going to get killed. And he said, I'm not going to sign it. And others have actually signed it and the plane crashed. It happened just recently in Tulsa. You can look it up. One just crashed down here in Tulsa. But, you know, he wants to follow the direction. That's what I was saying about him. But this, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, he says, apply my principles to your lifestyle. There's things that we should not do as Christians. There are places that we should not go as Christians. And I'm not trying to lay down a hard law. God don't mind you having fun. God don't mind you doing things. But there's certain atmospheres we don't need to be in. In fact, your spirit don't want to be in it. And there's certain things we should not look at. There's things that we should not talk about. <laughs> so there's principles that are applicable. And Jesus taught principles all throughout. In the teachings of Jesus and the principles that he taught taught us commandments, principles, directives, and guidelines are still just as true today for us, the church, as it was when he was teaching the Jewish people. Do you know what the Bible says about you and about me? So brother, it says a lot of things, I know. But there's one thing that I want you to remember what it says about you. The Bible says he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, that it's been born of the Spirit and not of the flesh. So whether you know, know it or not, you've been grafted in, and now, the Bible says we've been grafted in, and now we are Jews. That's why all y'all are always looking for them deals <laughs> and them yard sales and discounts. You're Jewish. 
<laughs> and I'm not saying that we take the place, the Jewish people, you know, some people, I'm not saying all that. I'm just saying we're grafted in. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible says he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but one which is inwardly, born of the Spirit and not of the flesh. It's right in your Bible. So that's why you have a tendency to get all those bargains and argue with all them people when you're buying cars and buying stuff and going shopping. <laughs> Haggling, you call it, you know. <laughs> but how did you get me over here anyway? We started in Exodus. Because we talked about, you know, I've been preaching mostly out of the Old Testament, but the New Testament is, is applicable to them. And we're trying to get back over there, if you'll let me. But in verse 15 of St. John 14, it said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter. That's one that's called alongside to help us. And there's about seven different definitions of what he does. The Spirit of God, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but he, you know him. Why? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's why you get into a situation, the spirit of truth, and you hear a lot of different things and you hear people doing a lot of things and saying a lot of things and going places, but all of a sudden inside of you, you had this intuition that's not right. That, uh-uh, I don't need to be in that. Nope, I don't need to be involved in this. No, that's not right. Why? The spirit of truth is li li living in you. Now, that same spirit of truth was in the Old Testament. But he didn't live inside of them. But the principles that he tried to teach them outwardly there apply to us inwardly today. You understand? So the words of Jesus, the principles of Jesus are still the same today. So let's turn back to the book of Exodus that you was trying to get me to turn to to begin with. Aren't you glad? Have you been encouraged already? See, the Lord didn't beat us down. He encouraged us, you know, today. And I believe we're going to enter into everything that God has for us. I certainly do. But remember, at 3 o'clock this morning... And it don't always happen to me this way. But Dad Hagen said this, you know, and I, I listened to him years ago. He said that earlier on, you know, that he used to keep a, a pencil, a notebook pad and a pencil or a pen beside his bed. He said because uh, oftentimes, and then he stopped and said, well, well, tell you the truth, many times the Lord will awaken me in the night and he'll give me something. And he said, I'll find out that if I don't write it down, sometimes it'll get away from me, you know. And you know how that is. I've been guilty too, you know, of the Lord I know giving me something, saying something to me. And I thought, well, I'll never forget that. And then go along about three or four years. And I thought, well, I know what that, I know, I know what that is. Somebody will be teaching something. And I think, well, yeah, the Lord spoke to me. What is that? What did? And you wish you'd have gotten, take it down somewhere. So I, I, now I'm, I'm doing more of that, you know. At about 3 o'clock, I was awake, and I was just according to, the Lord had spoken to me about this particular chapter before and principles in it that's applicable to the New Testament church today. And remember, we got into talking about, uh, about your, uh, your dedication determines, your level of dedication determines your level of elevation or anointing in the Spirit. And this is for the whole church world. It's just not trying to put it on you by yourself, you understand. 
And we also said this also, that what may be true for me in the requirement that God may have for me, it may not be the same thing that God requires of you. The same principles apply, but maybe not on the same level. Remember, we talked to you about Dad Hagen and how Dad Hagen, it was so imperative that he walk in the calling that he had that, remember, Jesus actually sat down and talked to him for an hour, over an hour and a half because he didn't want him to die prematurely, and he was headed towards death. Jesus actually told him, he said, if this had not occurred and I had not gotten your attention and I have not come here and talked to you, he said, you have not lived past the age of 55 because you was not walking in my perfect will. Now, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen to you or that's required of you or that's required of me. But we still, even though that may not be required of me, there are other things that is required of me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. And there's things that's required of you. Whatever your calling is in life, whatever your career path is in life, whatever you're doing in life, there's still requirements, there's qualifications that God expects you to live up to as a Christian. All of us own kind of different things because he knows us. We're different levels in Christ. You know, we got... You know, baby Christians, you know, and you got, you know, immature Christians, carnal Christians, and you got people that are supposed to know what they're doing, and that'd be a miracle, you know. <laughs> but uh, so there's different levels. But whatever level you're on, and whatever way that God deals with you, He expects you to do what He's asking you to do. The principles remain the same for all of us. But how we apply those principles in our life is how the Holy Spirit leads you. But we still all have to apply them. To what degree, what level? For instance, prayer. You say, well, the Lord, uh, you know, he, I, he never said, I ain't got, you know, whatever, how long? You know, I got to pray 24 hours a day? Well, I don't think anybody could pray 24 hours a day. You know what I mean? And be in the right mind afterwards. You say, Brother Randy, I wasn't in my right mind to start with. <laughs> Forgive me. Oh, you got to laugh a little bit in between. You know what I mean? <laughs> These things get heavy sometimes. But see, he might he may say, well, Randy, because I know a friend of mine, a friend of mine, the Lord told him this. Now, this is not applicable to you. But he told him to pray a minimum of 25 hours a week in other tongues. 25 hours a week. Among his other praying and Bible study. 25 hours a week. That's what he told him. He said, why did he do that? And why hadn't he told me that if he told him that? The problem arises if that man wanted to go out and build a doctrine and start a denomination and say, if you don't pray 25 hours a week in other tongues, you can't go to heaven. Now, that would be wrong. And if he come to you and come to me and said, if you don't pray 25 hours a week in other tongues, that would be wrong. Why would it be wrong? Because God expects you to pray 100 hours. <laughs> I've I'm joking. You, the ark is with us today. Amen. So, we, <laughs> the ark of the covenant. I am joking. You know, you got to laugh every now and then to swallow these pills. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that there's not requirements. God does expect us to pray. Why? For our benefit. Just like food is for the physical body. The Word is given for our spiritual sustenance. So we need to read the Word, study the Word, meditate on the Word, and pray. Because when we pray, what are we doing? Communicating with God. The more you pray, the more you seek God, the more you're going to know God. The least 
you pray. The less you pray, the less you're going to know God. It's up to you. It's whatever you want to do. But you can come to a point of just really knowing His voice. So when He told my friend to pray a minimum of 25 hours a week in other tongues, it don't mean the Lord told me to do that. But I have had the Lord to lead me aside and begin to fast and pray. And I'm not saying skipping every meal, but a lot of them. And actually spend a week in prayer. I'm not talking about all, you know, without getting any sleep or rest or nothing. But just spend a week just praying, seeking God, kneeling sometimes, walking sometimes, sitting down sometimes, and just talking to the Lord, talking to Him, walking with Him, reading and studying the Bible. But listen, that doesn't mean that you're having to, you have to do it. He's not going to force you to do anything, you know, and I'm not trying to put that on, on you. How did, can't you let me get back here? Exodus, what, 32? I don't even know if we'll get to read the scripture or not here. But anyway, there are principles in the Bible. That's how we, got to, we went to the New Testament because I've been basically speaking out of the Old Testament because what we're doing, remember, we're looking for principles that are applicable to our New Testament Christian lifestyle. The Lord said to me, and again, I was awakened this morning about 3 o'clock this morning. Can I remember specifically looking at the clock at 3? Why 3? I don't know. Maybe the third day he rose, and then again, it may not mean a thing. But it was a re-emphasis on what he had spoken to me before. Like, you, you hadn't talked about this enough. You know what I mean? From that perspective. You hadn't said this enough. You haven't declared this enough. Sometimes we think that we preach on something one time and we wear it out. No, if God is emphasizing it and God is saying it, we need to stay with it. You may say a little bit different things about it, but sometimes things need to be preached until people actually receive it totally and, and at least get to walking in it, you know, for a ways. But he was showing me about Exodus chapter 32 here that the principles that are found here are actually the same principles are going on and are applicable to the church world today. The same things. The same things that was happening there, again, in principle format, not the same physical actions, not the same physical works, but the same principles, spiritual principles are in the church world today. And there are things that we need to look at. There's things that we need to examine. And there are things that we need to correct. And there's things that we need to do. This is all about what? Receiving the glory. Because that's how we got started. The Lord said, I'm not withholding my glory. He said, my church is not in a position to receive my glory. Until the church makes the necessary corrections, they're not going to receive my glory on a larger scale. So we've been working on what? The receiving in, not the sending in. We're not saying, Lord, send the power. He's got it. He's already, it's already been prophesied. It belongs to us. You prophesied it. Others have prophesied it. Everybody's prophesied it. Yay, hey, nay, yay, say yay. You know, we said it. You know, and under the unction in the morning and not be wrong. Well, if it's true, it belongs to us. Where is it? And that's how, remember, I got into a, being inquisitive about it. Where is this glory? 
Where is this power? And of course, it might have been God that gave me the question to ask. You know, I'm not saying that. So don't look at me like I'm some smart one. Because Pastor Darlene and I already figured out I ain't smart enough to know none of this stuff. <laughs> at least I know Pastor Jerry and I have got it figured out. <laughs> and I, I'm telling you, I don't know these things. It's the Spirit of God. But we can get started in this direction. So, Brother Ridley, what about the book of Joel? Lord, specifically at 840 Sunday a.m. What about that? What about the book of Joel? That's what I say, Lord. What about the book of Joel? What about the book of Joel? Why? What did he say to me? Why in the world does God do things like that? I guess it just to get your attention and get your curiosity up. Why did he tell me? Because I'm praying about the, you know, receiving the move of God and all this kind of stuff. Because it then told me I was praying wrong. I was praying, send it. And God said, pray on what you need to do to receive it. About 8.40 a.m., give or take a few minutes, you know. But it seemed to me when I looked at the clock, it was 8.40 a.m. Before I came to church Sunday morning. The Lord said, they're praying about receiving the outpouring. He said, the first outpouring of my spirit that came to the earth was found in the book of Joel. He said, the last outpouring, the last day outpouring, the same will be found in the book of Joel. In other words, I knew what he's talking about. The principles that need to be applied to receive the outpouring we found in the book of Joel. Now, that doesn't mean there's not other church chapters and other verses, even in the New Testament, that would coincide with it, because I can already see that there is. <coughs> but that's what he told me. So now we're all curious. So what are you going to do? You're going to study it and tell me. <laughs> Save me all the labor. Save me all the work. But I'll guarantee you, if you go and look at it and ask God to show you sincerely or reveal to me about it, I'll guarantee you he'll show you principles. He, he's good at that. But in Exodus chapter 32, maybe we'll read a scripture. Verse 1 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount or mountain. What mountain is he on? He's on the mountain of God, like Pastor said. But he's on Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, in honor of Dad Hagen. Remember? He said Sinai. And if he said it was Sinai, he's a prophet. It is Sinai. I don't care what they wrote. <laughs> he called it Sinai. <laughs> but uh, he was on that mountain that we've been reading about in Exodus 3. Because remember, he said, you're going to worship me on this mountain, remember? So here they are, and they're at this mountain. And God had called him up to that mountain to give him instructions. That's what he was doing up there. God called him on that mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God. God had called him up there because the people had come out of Egypt. You understand? See, we didn't read all that in between 3 and uh, 32. But you can for yourself later. But God had sent Moses down. He had accomplished what God told him to do. And here they are. And so they're back here again at this mountain. That God said, you're going to worship me here. Remember? He told Moses, remember that? Don't make me come back. I said, <laughs> in Exodus 3. You remember he said, you're going to worship me in this mountain. God told him that. Back there, he said, yeah, thank you, Pastor Randy. He's in agreement with me. But it's in the Bible. 
He said, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, or the mount, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, that's what it means. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, get up from there. Hey, what are you doing? And make us gods. Gods. Aaron. Make, this is Moses' brother, Aaron, remember. Which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Now, the King James says something different, but it means that. It's got what? W-O-T. <laughs> we don't know what. I don't know. That's a word right there. And I know that comes from South Georgia or somewhere. It might have come from Nebraska. What? <laughs> we what not what has become of him. You know what I mean? But notice here, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together. The people saw. What do you mean by saw? It means that they had waited. Saw means they had waited. They had experienced the delay themselves. Moses had been called up by God, and God was going to give Moses the Ten Commandments on this mountain in this chapter. God had called him up. You've got to go back and read 31, and you'll find all that out and others. But anyway, God had called him up there. And notice what the people said. When the people experienced a delay, which means saw a delay, they experienced a delay of Moses coming down, they got upset. They got agitated with who? Moses. But what they did not understand is they were actually agitated with God. Because it wasn't Moses delaying coming down. It was God delaying Moses coming down. When God calls, you stay where he calls you. Don't move. God had called him on that mount. So the people decided they didn't want to wait long enough to hear what God said. How does this applicable to the New Testament church today? It's easier to go to Google, Goggle, Siri, Saris, Jeffrey, George, whatever, and hurriedly get through something because ever the human race is going everywhere. Oh, I could, uh, I'm so busy. I'm going to stop what you're doing. Quit getting impatient waiting on God, church. You stop and you wait till God shows up. Because if you don't, you're going to get in the flesh. You're going to open the door to the devil. You're going to open the door to false doctrines. You're going to open the door to man's ideas. You're going to open the door to man's plans. So they, because they failed to wait on God, they decided God won't give us a plan. We're going to do it by our plan. We're going to do it our way. And you can find, and again, not to attack, but to tell the truth. Most of the church world today is in the same dilemma because they decided we're not going to wait on God. We're not going to take time to fast and pray. We're not going to take time to seek God. I don't have time to do all those things. I'm going to put the strategies and implements. I'm going to do all this. 
We've done demographic studies and we know what people want. And that's what we're going to do. I'm not, I'm not saying that you might not get a help from a, some natural thing, but I'm here to tell you natural things are not God things. And they're not going to win in the end. And it's not going to please God. I want to create an atmosphere for God and so should we. We want to wait on Him. How long does it take? Ever how long it takes. It don't matter how long it takes. But the person, the preacher, the Christian that will make the decision to wait on God, even though He may delay speaking to you, if you will wait on God, eventually He's going to talk to you. If you get impatient, and that's, it seems to be in our society today, in the church world, that impatience is at the top of the list. We have, and I'm not against this, I, I believe that we ought to be wise with our time and everything like that, but we have run through church services now. We do. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, because people... So when the people want it, they're in such a hurry. They got to get them in and get them out, but they need that religious fix. Listen, this is what I say. If you're going to do that, just get you a box of religious shots in a needle and just send them out to the folks at home and let them shoot themselves with it because that'd be just about as good as them coming to that church you got. Oh, my God. I'm just telling you the truth about it. It ain't going to do them no good. Get the religious fix is not God's anointing. It's not. It's not going to help anybody. These people here was looking for a religious fix. They wanted to fall back on man's ideas, man's worship, man's plans. I'm talking about here in the book of Exodus. And that's exactly what goes on in the church world today as a whole. Not everybody, not every church, not every minister, not every Christian. But there's a lot of it that goes on. Under the guise of Christianity and God has absolutely nothing to do with it. So impatience is at the top of the list in the church world today. It takes patience, which requires, and this is an ugly word, faith, to wait on God. These people didn't have enough faith to wait until God spoke and God sent Moses back down to get the directions from God. And God doesn't speak until he wants to. Isn't that right? So when does he want to? Whenever he wants to. When does he want to? When he wants to. So what did I do? I wait in the presence of God. Wait. 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 Stop. Wait. Stop. Wait. Stop. Wait. And then God will speak. He'll give His directions. And with the directions will come the blessings. Will come the anointing. Will come the ability. And it will be His plan, His purpose, and His will that has taken place and that is coming to pass. Just stay with it. Stay with it. I know there has been times that I've prayed about things. You know, I, I was talking about, you know, asking the Lord about, you know, why we haven't seen the glory. You know, it's been prophesied. I think I probably 
prayed along those lines. It don't mean it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it don't necessarily mean I prayed that way every single day. But periodically, I probably prayed along those lines for eight, ten months, maybe 12, almost a year. And I didn't hear a thing. But I just kept on, just kept on, just presenting it to the Lord, you know. Brother Hagin used to call, keep your spiritual antenna up, you know. And then one day, under an anointing, while I was speaking, certainly, suddenly, while I was standing in the pulpit, in October of 2019, under a strong anointing, the Lord answered my question. He said, you're praying about the anointing and that last day in time move of God and why you haven't received it. He said, it's not that I haven't sent it. He said, I've released it. He said, but my people are not in a position to receive it. He said, quit praying for me to send it. And that there's a, you know, you, that don't mean you don't pray. Don't get me wrong. Like you have been, that's what he's talking about. And he said, work on the receiving end. Get yourself in a position to receive it. And so I started changing my way of praying since that day. But notice here, because God delayed in answering the people, because the people wanted to hear from God too, then the people got upset and decided that we're going to do our own thing and we're going to do it our own way. You can do it your way if you want to, because they did. But it doesn't mean that God's going to approve of it. There is a lot of good spiritual principles right here. And I pray, you pray too, that the Lord will give me utterance tonight that we can just go through this. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the anointing of...